0: So, so far in our series on identity, we've looked at how, as as followers of Christ, we have a different way of answering the question, who am I, uh, than the world does. You see, the world tells us that our identity is to be found in our job, in our marital status, our gender, our wealth, our politics, our sporting prowess, a whole bunch of, of other places, the world repeatedly tells us and sends us the message that we have to look inside of ourselves to be true to who we are, that uh, find the thoughts and feelings and emotions uh, that we have inside and build our identity on those and what feels good and what feels right to you. A few weeks ago, Sarah said something um, which really has stuck with me about uh, the challenge of doing this. She said, not every thought we have is true. Not every thought we have is true. And we also know, don't we, that our feelings uh, change, our emotions change in response to our circumstance. So it's really difficult to base our identity on those things. Instead, as Christians, we base our identity in who God says that we are. Quite often through this series, we've used this phrase and we've said, we want to use the Word of God, the Bible, as a perfect mirror to reflect back at us who, are true, who we are, our true identity in Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the foundational aspects of the Christian gospel, and therefore, one of the foundational aspects of our identity. We're going to look at what it means to be adopted in Christ, to be a child of God. We sing that song quite a lot, don't we? And we're going to sing it uh, later on after this, after this talk in the ministry time. But what does it actually mean? Why is it so important? Tim Keller, the author and theologian, says this. He says, if we want to understand why being a Christian is a privilege, we need to appreciate divine adoption. If we want to understand why being a Christian is a privilege, we need to appreciate divine adoption. So to do this, what we're going to do is take a passage of Scripture uh, in Galatians, one of the books in the New Testament, a letter that Paul wrote. Uh, And we're going to work our way through that uh, and see why it's such an incredible truth on which we can build our identity. So using God's word as a mirror, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 4 and we're going to read from verses 1 to 7. If you've got a Bible with you this morning or you've got it on your phone, I encourage you to get that open and keep it open. We're going to be dipping in and working our way through that this morning. So Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now, if you've ever read a passage of Scripture like this and kind of come away not being entirely sure about how we might apply something like this to our own life, then don't worry, you're not on your own. There's a lot of things you see in this passage, particularly in that first section, which really speak into the culture that was happening and that Paul was writing into. So in order for us to really understand that and understand how we can apply it to our lives, we need to look at the text in context. And as we do this, my prayer is that we might start to shift our understanding of the fact that we're a child of God from being head knowledge into being heart knowledge, a lived experience. And pray as we look at this passage together, it'd be like a blindfold which comes off as we see the enormity of what God has done for us because He loves us. And what it means as we answer the question, Who am I? And we start to live from a place of knowing that we're a child of God. So let's start at the beginning. It's always a good place to start. So Galatians 4 verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So to understand what Paul is talking about here, we have to understand a little bit about the culture that Paul was writing in, to learn what that process and the practice of being an heir involved. So picture the scene. You are the son in a large family, a family who own a house, some grounds, an estate. And you know, therefore, that because you are a boy and because you are the eldest, that one day you're going to inherit everything. So the day arrives when your father dies, and so as heir, you then inherit everything and start running the place. Not so, because you haven't yet, you see, come of age. As Paul writes here, you are underage. So until you were about 14, uh, you'd have a group of guardians who would essentially make all the decisions about the estate on your behalf, all the decisions about the money that was yours on your behalf and Paul likens it to being like a slave because you've got no right or no control over what happens. Other people are making decisions about your life on your behalf. Then between about the ages of 14 and 25 you enter a different group of people but essentially the same thing happens. There's a group of trustees are appointed who continue to manage and control your inheritance. It was only when you hit the milestone age, which was set by the father, it was around about the age of 25, that you could take complete ownership of your estate and therefore your full inheritance, receive your inheritance in full. I was trying to think, what's the closest thing in my life that sort of represents something similar to this? and The, the only thing I could think of was that I had a, a savings account, which was given to me by my mom and dad on my 18th birthday. So they set it up when I was a baby, and every month they just put a little bit of money into it. And then they handed it over to me on my 18th birthday. And there was enough money in there for me to buy uh, my first car, Peugeot 206, if anybody's interested. Uh, I think it was a mistake, but anyway, I'll tell you about that later on. Uh, But until the point that I turned 18, even if I'd known about this account, which I didn't, there was nothing which I could do to access what was in it. Uh, The money was mine, it belonged to me, it was assigned to me, but it was controlled by somebody else. Uh, At that moment, it was my parents and the bank. Until I came of age, until I became 18, I took complete ownership of it and could spend it how I wanted to. So Paul uses this analogy of someone else controlling, um, like being an heir but having everything controlled, to being like a slave. Because other people are making decisions about your life on your behalf. And Paul uses that analogy... Uh, to describe humanity's spiritual situation. So Galatians 4 verse 3 says, So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So we're in this situation as humanity, where we have this inheritance. Inheritance is ours, the heirs of the kingdom of God, but there's nothing which we could do to gain access to it. The inheritance existed But there's nothing which would allow us to get access to it because the time hadn't yet come. The time as set by the Father. And the analogy which Paul is using to describe our spiritual reality would have made sense to the recipients of the letter. And there's two things that I want to just draw out from this this morning. So number one, Paul presents the picture that is facing everybody in humanity, whether they know it or not. The spiritual situation which faces humanity or not. All of humanity, all humans are in spiritual slavery before coming to Christ. Even if we've never heard of the Bible, heard of the law or Moses, we're under it. The people that Paul was writing to, that they had uh, no history or no background or no knowledge of the people of Israel of Moses, the Ten Commandments but Paul tells us that it was still under the law and just like today there's billions of people who've never heard about God even though they've never heard about the law they're still underneath it and and then number two This is a key thing for us this morning. Living in slavery is an image of how Christians can fail to experience the full freedom which is available to us. We can often live lives as though we're still in slavery. We continue to try and work our way into God's goodness. We strive, we try to live a good life, we try to earn morality points with God as opposed to living as adopted sons of God. It's like we're given this beautiful gift, and instead of accepting it, we hand it back and we say, I can't accept this. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough to accept this. You you hold on to this until I've earned it, and then I'll receive it. Galatians 4 verse 4 is the key moment. It says, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. So this is the moment when everything changed. The moment, the time which is set by the Father has been reached and the opportunity to enter into full inheritance occurs. When Jesus comes, that's the moment that we come of age. It's Jesus who makes us of age? Well, how does he do this? Well, firstly, he sent the father, sent the son to be born of a woman. This is really important because it tells us that Jesus was like us. He was fully human and therefore under the law. It says he was born of a woman, born under the law. But unlike every other human that ever did or will walk on this planet, Jesus was able to redeem all those under the law by fulfilling it. Now the word that Paul uses here for redeem is a Greek word which means to release a slave from its owner by paying the full price. Humans, you and I, were slaves. And if you like, the owner was the law, whether or not that we knew this. And Jesus came and he paid the price that was required to release and to set you free. In the Greco-Roman culture, the only way that a slave could become a free person once more was for someone to pay in full the price as set by the slave's master. There's no other way that they could be freed. And on the cross, Jesus paid the price in full for our freedom. It's this incredible reality We were slaves with no chance of freedom, and then Jesus comes, and he redeems us. He pays in full everything that was required. But not only did Jesus do that, he made it possible that we might receive adoption into sonship. So in the society that Paul was writing to, it was commonplace for a wealthy man who was childless to take a servant and adopt him. And at that very moment, the servant would cease to be a slave and would inherit all the financial and legal privileges both within the household and the estate and the wider society in the same way that a biological firstborn son would have done. This child, although they've got no relationship with the father, in a moment gains all the legal status of being a son and begins this new life of privilege. They receive a new identity, no longer a slave, but a son. It's an astonishing analogy for Paul to use. I want to just take a moment here and explain why I'm using the word son and sonship. As opposed to perhaps a more gender neutral terminology like child and children. Children. Well, if you've got a Bible translation which was written pre-2011, it's likely that that will still contain the words and use the words son and sonship. Translations which are written after 2011 tend to use more gender-neutral terms and refer to as being children of God. So why then have I chosen this morning to stick with the words son and sonship? Well, it's because I think that to change it to anything else lessens the gravity of what Paul is saying that Jesus has done for us. To understand the radical and revolutionary nature of what Paul is saying, we need to understand the historical context and definition around the word son and sonship. So in most ancient cultures, Galatia included, daughters could not inherit the property or the estate. In this context, the word son literally means legal heir. It's a title which was forbidden for women to receive. The gospel, however, tells us that we are all sons in God, in Christ. Therefore, we are all legal heirs, men and women. In Christ, nobody is excluded from being an heir. So for Paul to say that we are all adopted into sonship is radically inclusive. A similar opposite example would be that a bit later on in the Bible, all Christians are referred to as the bride of Christ. It's not just something which is reserved for women. All women can become God's sons and all men become Jesus' bride. To try and change either of those two would miss how incredible and how radical those claims are. It's right to say that we're children of God, but to fully understand the profound nature of divine adoption... We need to understand that we're called sons of God. There's a legal reasoning, understanding, and a radical inclusivity behind that phrase. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus paid the price to release us, but he also gives us an entirely new identity, a legal heir of God. It's something which is often forgotten or maybe missed out when we talk about what Christ has done for us. We tend to focus on the fact that he's forgiven our sin, that he's paid the cost, that he's opened up a way that we might have this relationship with the Father once more, which is completely staggering uh, in and of itself. But it's only half half of what he's done. He's given us this new identity as a child of God, a legal heir, and all the associated rights which come with that. I wonder if you've ever had a time where you've messed up, you've made a mistake, you go to God and you ask for forgiveness. You know that you're forgiven, but you remain anxious because whilst you know you're forgiven, you you think it's going to take time for you to build back up favor with God again. We know we're forgiven, but it's only if we start doing good things again that God's going to love us and he's going to accept us. Have you ever thought like that? You're certainly not alone. I've certainly had moments when I've done that myself. But when we do this, we're only remembering that, God is, that we've been redeemed. Yes, Jesus paid the full cost to forgive us. that We might have this relationship and we stop there. Our inheritance as a child of God is not something which we earn, but it's a gift we receive. Jesus has redeemed us. And he's given us all the legalities required that we might have the same inheritance rights as he does. We're sons of God. The good news doesn't stop there. The next part of the passage is the key this morning For understanding how we move this from being head knowledge into being heart knowledge. How it becomes a lived experience. It's how we accept and live and move from this new identity. It says God sent his spirit. It says because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Father. God sent his son Jesus to secure the legal status of our new identity. God sent his spirit to help it become our lived reality. The spirit, the spirit of God leads us to call out Abba, Father. The Greek word that Paul uses here is krasdon. It's a passionate, a deep, profound feeling that leads one to give a loud cry or a scream or a shout. As many of you know, uh, I've got three girls who are ten, eight, and 5. And I love that moment. I walk through the door at the end of a day. They hear the door open, and they shout, Daddy! And they run, and they grab onto me. If I'm not there, or I'm not present with them, they don't do that. I mean, Poppy might, but generally, they don't. They don't do that. Children, when a parent is near, will cry out. The Spirit within us cries out to our Heavenly Father. The Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. That word Abba wasn't a word known by the Galatians. It's an Aramaic word, the language that Jesus spoke as opposed to being a Greek word. So the fact that Paul keeps it and uses it is is interesting. It's an intimate word for a father. The closest we've got, it doesn't really come close, is Daddy or, or Papa, It's a word that brims with confidence that the recipient of that cry loves you and is delighted to hear from you and welcomes you with open arms and holds you with security and with tenderness. I love it when I get mobbed by my girls. I could have had the worst day be in a terrible mood as I walk through the door and I hear, Daddy! As they run and they grab on. It just... Fades away, and I pause for a minute in that embrace, and nothing matters to me, and nothing matters for them. This is what the embrace of your heavenly Father feels like. The spirit within us cries out, "Daddy!" and we throw our arms out, we throw our hearts out, confident that we're going to be held. God sent His Son, and the work which He did was external. He filed all the legal paperwork, and He paid all the costs involved. God sent the Spirit that we might be moved emotionally and cerebrally by the furious, passionate love of the Father. So where does this leave us? Galatians 4 verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has also made you an heir. The new identity as a child of God means that we're now heirs. We can walk in total confidence and assurance about who we are. We no longer need to wonder what others think, whether whether we're good enough, whether we're loved, whether we're liked, whether we're accepted or significant. The answer to all of those questions is yes, you are. You are because of the furious and passionate pursuing love of God for you. You are loved. You are significant. You are accepted. There's no reason to walk in fear about those things anymore because Papa owns this place. There's a confidence which should flow from that. Our identity is not something which we we find inside ourselves that we need to choose and create based on how we feel, our thoughts, our emotions. It's not something we discover inside. It's a gift which is given to us. It's beyond anything that we could create or could construct for ourselves. We're a child of God, and because of that legal reality, we have a new identity as an heir in the kingdom of heaven. We can approach God with the same confidence That when he looks at us, he sees us in the same way that he sees Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, God looked at Jesus and he said, This is my beloved Son, whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. And God looks at you. He sees his Son. And he says, This is my beloved Son, whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. All that is Jesus is now ours. So how do we live this out in 21st century Scotland? Well, there's three things that I think we can do. Number one, we need to be continually using the Bible as a perfect mirror. It's something which has been said through all of these talks on identity so far, but it's so crucial to grasping this. So pick up your Bible, read it, get into it, memorize the parts of it which tell you about who God says that you are. And the more that you speak these truths over yourself, the more that you'll believe them to be real. One of the things which Ollie had us do as a preaching team uh, when we were pulling this series together was to take a mirror and write on it a couple of key truths about our identity that, that we might often forget. This is mine here. And on it, there's a few things, but I've got accepted, chosen, forgiven completely. These are three things which I can easily forget about my identity. I've written them on the mirror, it sits on my desk, and every day I look at it. And reflected back at me is me and the perfect truth about who God says I am. Why not do this for yourself? Get hold of a mirror, grab a sharpie, and write the truths about who you are, the perfect truth about who the Word of God says that you are. Use the Word of God literally as a mirror to reflect back who you are. Number two, take time throughout the day to cry out to God. So if we believe that God is close enough to us, that we can cry out, Daddy. Then he's present with us as we go about our day-to-day life. So take time in each moment, whether that's at home, whether it's in the gym, whether it's out for a walk, whether it's uh, at the sports club, wherever it might be, take time to remind yourself that God is close enough that the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. He's next to you. You see, it's so easy to fall back into slavery. The old habits which come with that mindset. But we're a new creation in Christ. We've got a confidence, an assurance, and a promise that we're no longer slaves, but are children of God. We're heirs of the kingdom of God. So be intentional about practicing the presence of God in all situations and all circumstances. And number three is be filled with with the spirit take every opportunity to receive a fresh filling of the spirit it's so easy for it to leak out from us it's the spirit within us who calls our abba father so the more that we're sp- filled with the spirit the more we will cry out we've got every opportunities every sunday to receive prayer ministry come and take it come forward and ask to be filled afresh with the Spirit, come to our our evening service this evening and be asked to be filled afresh with the Spirit. But do it at home, wherever you are. Do it when you're at work, when you're in the park, wherever you might be. You can ask for a fresh filling of the Spirit. It's how I can get through most of my days. Just say, come, Holy Spirit, I need more of you. Come and fill me afresh. And just wait filled with the Spirit. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have an opportunity for some prayer ministry here this morning. In a moment, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and uh, join me at the front. And just as we do that, as we move into this time of prayer ministry, I want to remind you that God loves you. He really does. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit is moving people might cry, people might laugh, sometimes people might shake, sometimes absolutely nothing externally seems to happen. Whatever goes on, God's at work and God's gentle and He's loving and He's kind. And I'm letting you know that because I want everybody here to feel totally safe. You come forward for prayer ministry or you're there and you're worshiping, you see what's happening in prayer ministry, just want you to remember that God's gentle He knows what each of us need this morning. Some of us this morning might need to cry. God knows that. That's okay. Some might need to laugh. That's okay. I just want to ask the worship team if you might start to make your way up to the front. I'm going to ask in a moment the ministry team. So that's anybody in St. Mungo's who's been to any of the training that Ollie's put on on prayer ministry. Um, So just if you could come out in a moment uh, when I do a call for ministry team. We've got three specific things this morning that I'd love to pray with you about. So number one is if you've heard what I've shared this morning, how when we decide to put our faith in Jesus, we get given this new identity as a child of God. And you want to make a decision this morning to put your faith in Jesus. To say sorry for the times when you said and thought and acted in a way which has caused pain and hurt to others and to God and yourself. You want to thank Jesus for paying in full the debt on the cross. And bringing to a place of being legally adopted as God's family. To ask God then to send His Holy Spirit to come and fill you. So that you can live out this new identity in freedom and in confidence. I'd love you to, when the worship begins, to come over. We're going to do some prayer ministry over here. I'd love you to come out. And this ministry team would love nothing more than to pray with you as you invite Jesus to come and be in your life. Number two, the secondary call is for anyone who knows that they're a Christian. You know that Jesus has paid the full cost to bring you into God's family, but that is not a lived reality for you at the moment. You don't feel like you're God's child. You're trying to still earn God's love. You're trying to earn His acceptance. You're questioning whether you're good enough or whether you're worthy enough or lovable enough to be embraced by the Father. We'd love to pray with you this morning that you'll be filled with the Spirit, That today marks a line in the sand that no longer are you going to be searching for approval and acceptance because you'll be outrageously secure in the love of the Father. Knowing that your identity is not something that you need to create, but it's a gift to be accepted. And again, I just encourage you when we start to worship to come out and receive prayer. And the third thing is if you want this morning to receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's been a while since you've asked to be filled afresh with the Spirit and you need this morning to be refreshed and restored and refilled. Then come out for prayer ministry this morning. So let me pray. We'll move into worship and at that point if the ministry team if you can come over here as well. And if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning or you want to be released from believing that you have to earn your identity as a child of God, or you want to be filled with the Spirit, then come as soon as we start worshiping to this area over here. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We want to give you permission to move in power in this place. We're desperate for a fresh touch from you this morning. We want to see lives changed and transformed. We want to see people who are bound up in anxiety and worry about who they are to be set free this morning. We want those people who've believed a lie that they're not good enough or they're not worthy enough to be held by you. To hear this morning, to know this morning that they are held, that they are loved, that they are precious. We want people this morning walking away confident and assured that no longer do they need to be fearful about who they are. Because their identity is found in your son, Jesus. That they've been legally adopted as your children. And they are now heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Come, Holy Spirit. We give you the room. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, move up. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Let's worship. And if you would like prayer this morning, then I encourage you to come forward.